Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Today's passage comes from Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. So it's 65 AD, and you are waking up one morning, and it's dark outside still because the sun hasn't risen yet. You swing your legs out of bed and put your feet straight into your Birkenstocks because those have been around for that long. And you, uh, you light your candle and you make your way through, uh, through the bedroom into the kitchen. And uh, you go to turn on your coffee pop. And then you remember, electricity hasn't been discovered yet. And so you uncaffeinatedly have to exit your house to start your walk to work for the day. It's about a 30-minute walk to, uh, to get up to work. And uh, as you make your way to your place of work, your office, um, the sun has now risen, and you're the first person there. And so you get out your skeleton to 
key and you open up the door and you walk in and you go up the first step of uh, stairs, you enter into a courtyard area, you keep walking through the courtyard area, there's another set of stairs, you go up into the next courtyard and each one gets a little bit smaller and you are in the middle of the temple because you are a priest and you have shown up today to go to work, you're the first one there at the temple and you make your way, you, you, you cross the line from where the regular Israelites uh, could go in the court of Israel to into, pass that line to the, the court of the priests. And you go into that section of the temple with the Holy of Holies behind you where God has manifested his presence, but it's behind a veil. It's kind of, it's literally boxed in. And you stand there between, uh, on your left, three tables called slaughter tables. And on your right, a big, fat, flat stone that was called the altar. Over here, you would prepare sacrifices, and over here, you would offer those sacrifices. And you're standing there, and you've unlocked the gate to the temple, and in comes your first patron, your first client for the day. And they come walking up, and you can kind of see them from a distance, making their way up the different stairs, making their way through the courtyard areas. And you recognize this person. It's one of the regulars. So they, you've seen them before, and it's a young man, and in his arms he has a young lamb, a spotless lamb. And he comes all the way up, but not close, you know, not crossing that line to where you are as the priest. He stays on, on his side of the line. And you say, young man, what, what can I do for you today? And he kind of, you know, in a, in a hushed, almost embarrassed way, says, I'm here to make a sin offering for my sin. And you say, all right, you, you know the drill. Put your hands on the head of the lamb, confess your sins, and, and so transferring them to the lamb. And, and he does that, and you say, all right, now you can give the lamb to me. And so you take the lamb, you take it over to the slaughter table. And this is a wiggler. So wiggle, this, is, this guy's not, he's not playing along. And so you're like, listen, if you don't stop wiggling, I'm going to kill you. And then you realize you have to kill him either way, whether he's wiggling or not. And so you take your knife and you do what you've done a thousand times before and you kill the lamb as he looks you in the eyes. Guys, a little lamb looking you and you, and you kill him. This is what you do as a priest. And then you begin to cut up the lamb on the slaughter table and you begin to take some of the blood that's been uh, poured out of this poor little lamb and you take it and you spatter it against the walls of the temple. And then you cut it up some more and you drain literally every ounce of blood out of the lamb into a bowl and you pour it at the foot of the altar. And then you take the fat, any amens? Take the fat out of that thing, the best part. Take the fat and you go and you put that onto the altar and then you burn it and you wait and nothing happens. Nothing happens because nothing happened yesterday when this guy came to offer his sacrifice, to make amends, to change. And he came the day before that, and he came the day before that. And you also have had to come day after day after day, year after year after year, even as the priest making your own sacrifices to cleanse yourself enough to get, you know, even just close to the presence of God, which is his grace in the first place that he set it up for us to do that. This guy is, he's stuck. He's stuck in a, a broken, powerless system to, do, to make any change in his life. And you also, you have the privilege of 
presiding over a broken system that isn't going to cause any change in his life or your life or anybody else's life. Hebrews 10 is about just that. It's about, it's about breakthrough. It's about what, what do you do? What can you do when you're stuck? When you're stuck in grief, when you're stuck in anxiety, when you're stuck in your head, when you're stuck in depression, when you're stuck in your own just love of self over love of anybody else. And you try what you may, but you, you never find a way to break um, whatever cycle you may be in. Hebrews 10 kind of brings us into uh, to this tension of being in place of needing breakthrough and using, even for them, using the God-ordained means to do it and it's still not being enough of just being stuck. So I don't know if just, you know, taking a moment just for you to even reflect in yourself if there's any, any part of you that connects with um, that idea of just being stuck, something being stuck inside your spirit, inside of you, and not being able to, to break free and needing breakthrough. So what I want to do is I want to start uh, looking at verse 1 in chapter 10. It says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. All throughout this passage, you see these extreme words. Never. Always. One time. um, Continually. I mean, you get this sense of almost just like this system that God had put in place for Israel, it's just got them banging their heads up against the wall, wanting to, you know, do something to change themselves, and yet they just keep coming back to the same thing, like a dog to its vomit, over and over and over again. When I was reading this, this is, this is something that, well, I also want to show you this. It's one of the, when I was reading this, this is, it just struck me as one of the saddest verses that I've ever read, honestly. But if you uh, scroll down to verse 11, it says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Can you imagine having a job in which you never once were able to, f- to fulfill any task that you ever were told to do? You, you used every, all the means, all the software, all the hardware, everything you could, you know, get your hands on. You went to every conference, you did all the stuff, and you could never fulfill uh, the one job that you had. Repeatedly offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, like Alex uh, kind of brought us into last week of, look, like this whole, I mean, if we just pull back for a second, this is all... A lot of this feels very foreign, and especially this when you start talking about animal sacrifices in the temple and all that. I mean, that's centuries ago. We're modern people. You know, we have computers. We have electricity. This is this is not a this is not something that we're facing now. Uh, this is not something that really we can even relate with. This idea of making offerings, making sacrifices, there being a temple, seeking forgiveness for your wrongdoing. And actually, this is, whether we realize it or not, because, because every single one of you is made in the image of God, you're made to reflect God, you're made to receive your identity and purpose from your relationship and connection with God, that when that is lost, 
as it was in the fall, and as that is lost and broken and fractured, we still reach out to other things and other people to give us that sense of connection with a higher power. Every one of us is looking for that. Every one of us might, even if you're a you know, devout follower of Jesus, there are things that you might lay your life down as a higher power that um, doesn't look anything like Jesus because in the, the, um, the kind of twistedness of our hearts um, and the foolishness of our hearts, um, we'll go there. What I want to do is, and we'll have it on the screen, I want to take you to 1 Kings um, 18. 1 Kings 18, this is literally hundreds of years before where we are now. And at this time, in 1 Kings 18, Israel, they've gotten some kings. Their king they have now, his name is Ahab. This king Ahab is a train wreck. He's one of the worst kings they've ever had. He is leading Israel into open and blatant idolatry. Right, so he's leading them to do, to break step rule number one, right? Have no other gods before me. And so he has opened up to Israel um, the worship of Baal, which Baal at that time was kind of like, I mean, it's almost like if you, we're probably more familiar with like Zeus, like the king of the gods in the Middle East, um, like the, the, the god who reigned over all the other gods. So he was supposedly in charge of fertility, supposedly in charge of rain so your crops could grow and you could provide for yourself and your family and war. I mean, this was a, this was, I mean, those are three, especially in this, this day and age, those are three pretty attractive, powerful things that had sway over people's hearts and lives. And so they said, Israel started to think, well, yeah, I mean, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he's great and all. And yeah, he did some stuff for like our grandparents back in the day. But like, I mean, does he really, can he really do things that actually matter and that I, I need? And so they were tempted to follow King Ahab as he said, look, like here's, here's another God I want to introduce you to as someone who can meet your needs. And what, um, what ends up happening is God raises up Elijah. He's the only prophet at this time in Israel. And Elijah is used by God to challenge Ahab and to challenge the, the nation of Israel to say, look, this isn't okay. And not only is this not okay, but he's a... I, I love Elijah. He's like a he's a fiery little guy, and he goes like full middle school on Ahab and says, "You know what? Look, you get your best men to meet me at the at the flagpole after school, and we're gonna settle this one way or another." And so he says, "Get all the prophets of Baal. There's 450 of them, and it's just him." And he says, "Meet me on Mount Carmel, and there we will." We'll have a test. We'll have a showdown to see which God is real or are either of them. And so when they all get there, the 450 prophets show up to this mountain. They make two altars. And he says, let's get two bulls, which is a common thing that they would offer as sacrifice in that time in the temple. Let's get two bulls. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to prepare the altar. We're going to get the wood as we're going to do a burnt offering. But we're not going to light the wood. What we're going to do is we're going to call down fire from heaven. You call your God and I'll call my God and we'll see who shows up. And so this brings us to 1 Corinthians or sorry, uh, 1 Kings 18 starting in verse 26. Because Elijah 
says to the Prophet Bell, look, you guys go first. Prophet Bell were probably like, this is probably going to be a pretty quick deal. Our, obviously, Bell is going to show up for us. And here they are, verse 26. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. Three hours, they're out there repeatedly calling this out, O Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Show up for us. Show this dumb Elijah and this archaic, out-of-date nation of Israel that you are the true God. And again, Elijah, I, I love what he says. He basically then goes, he, he, he mocks him, and he basically says, he's, he says, cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. That's exactly what you think it means. He says, basically, I bet your God's just taking a TT or a poo-poo. One of those two things. Um, I'm sure he'll show up shortly. And uh, so why don't you keep crying aloud? Verse 28. Keep crying aloud. And then it says this. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, now we're getting into six hours worth of this, they raved on until the time of the offering of of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. This is a graphic, um, disturbing, depressing, oppressive picture of what every God that is no God will ultimately bring you to. That, That you... Money, power, sex, a relationship, yourself, your image, school, you name it, right? We can, we can make a, a God, a pseudo-God out of anything. Anything. That's one of the ways that being made in the image of God in that brokenness, it, it gets shot out in this sideways way to where we start latching on things that are not God's and asking them to do things for us that only a true God could do. Like, send fire down from heaven and show that you're the real one. And when your God begins to not show up for you, be out of desperation to show maybe one last ditch effort, one last Hail Mary, they end up cutting themselves with swords. They, they take the step of like, well, maybe he will listen to us if I start to cut myself up, if I start to sacrifice myself. And sadly enough, this was not really a Hail Mary. This was, this is, doesn't sound like it's the first time it's happened. They cut themselves with swords after their custom. This was not the first time that this was part of their religion. I mean, so you've got to imagine these 450 prophets with scars on their bodies, maybe even with some open wounds, and now with fresh wounds, and their blood is gushing out. They are literally killing themselves, hoping that this God, who has shown them nothing, who has said nothing, who has done nothing for them, will show up in that moment. 
that is ultimately what, what, whatever God, even if it's religion, even, even if it's not Jesus, but it's religion, it's the system that you play and you work and you do, or if it's some version of irreligion, whatever it is, ultimately what will happen is to last ditch effort, get what you think that God can give you, you will have to end up on the altar. Gods that don't exist, that we make up in our minds, they ask and ask and ask and ask for more, and they give nothing in return. And yet we will make them sacrifice, we'll sacrifice our time, our family, our health, our mental health, our energy, our finances. We will make sacrifices in service of fill-in-the-blank God only to, at some point, out of desperation, find yourself near death because you are finding yourself having to become the one that is being sacrificed because this God won't show up and do anything for you. This is a very a live issue what Hebrews 10 is talking about. Yeah, there's no physical temple for us. Yeah, we aren't walking around with lambs in our arms making sacrifices, but we are doing this. Every single human is doing this every single day, all of the time, myself included. These prophets of, of Baal, they needed breakthrough. They needed their God to show up. They needed him to speak to affirm that he was real, that he could show up for them, that he could deliver them. And yet they're stuck and it's silent and nothing happens, right? Just like when you were in the temple offering that sacrifice, nothing happens. There's no audible voice from heaven. There's no doves that just start flying. There's no immediate heart of change. Nothing happens. I'm going to take you to Matthew 27. It'll be on the screen as well. Matthew 27 is where we see Jesus slowly asphyxiating to death on the cross. Jesus has been hanging on the cross, starting in verse 45 for some time now. And it says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, he's, he's nailed to a cross. He's been rejected by all of his friends and family. He's there alone, dying on a cross with, the, with darkness over the entire earth. He's absorbing the, the evil and, and, you know, injustice and our sin, every ounce of it. And then in verse 47 it says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. They literally misunderstand what he's saying as he's dying, hanging there on the cross. They think he's calling the prophet Elijah, who we were just talking about. Verse 48, And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, 
let's, uh, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Now, what we didn't get to is what ends up happening after those 450 prophets of Baal unsuccessfully, you know, mutilate themselves into nothing. Then, after that's done, Elijah then, with one word, immediately calls down fire from heaven and the whole offering is, uh, is burnt up and they all in that moment realize, who is the true God? So that happens. These people here, watching Jesus die, hear him call out, Eli, Eli. They think he's saying Elijah. They think that he's in desperation saying, Lord, I'm here about to die. Can you do anything to to help me out here? They think he's trying to get down from the cross. They think he's trying to show, look, God, you know, if if you really were real, wouldn't you show up like you did for Elijah and and rescue and, and get me out of here? And then it says in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again. And what's he going to say? He's going to call out for Elijah again. And with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. Elijah didn't show up. He wasn't calling for Elijah. He wasn't calling for some show of power. Jesus ends up making breakthrough possible in your life precisely because he laid his power down and he was broken through. The blood of goats, bulls, animals cannot bring breakthrough. Your blood shed in the the service of whatever God you want to lay your life down for won't bring breakthrough. The only breakthrough comes through Jesus' bloodshed. Now look at this, because always other times, the prophets of Baal, nothing happens, right? You're in the, in the temple offering sacrifice, nothing happens. They just He's going to come back tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. Verse 51, and behold. It says, in that moment, as he yields up his spirit, and behold, listen to this. The, curtains, uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook And the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that means they were dead, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When Jesus dies, when his blood is shed, breakthrough happens. Rocks are split. The curtain that separated you and that guy you were helping make a sacrifice for that you couldn't get into the Holy of Holies. One guy, the high priest, once a year, barely, you know, gets in there. That's torn. God's saying, look, you can come in and I'm coming out. Not because of any sacrifice you offered, not because of anything you've done, but because of the sacrifice of my own body. God himself becomes the sacrifice to Make a way for God and man to be reunited and reconnected. And this is crazy. The tombs were also opened. Like, Jesus dies, and it sends this shockwave into the earth, and dead people jolt up. If you, if you know Jesus, I'm sure you've had moments in your life where that has happened, right? Where you've, you've encountered Jesus, and it's like, Something was planted into the the ground of your heart and your soul and you jolted up, right? Breakthrough happens. 
Breakthrough has happened in the death of Christ. Breakthrough can happen in your life. Whatever that thing is in your life, in your heart, your soul, the grief, the disappointment, the addiction, whatever it is, breakthrough can happen. But it will only come when you stop offering sacrifices to unknown gods and when you stop sacrificing yourself to whatever. And you simply, right, let me put you back in the temple. This is the next day. And you're standing there between the three tables, the slaughter tables on the left, the altar on your right. Sun has just risen. You're the first person there. And who comes walking up? It's the same guy. You see him all the time. And as he gets a little bit closer, you kind of peer in a little bit more. And as you look a little bit closer, you realize he doesn't have anything in his hands. He's walking up with a little pep in his step, empty-handed. And he makes his way up the stairs and through the first courtyard and up the next stairs and through the next courtyard. And at this point, he's starting to pick up speed. And you're starting to get nervous, like looking for lightning, because you know he's about to cross the line. He is about to cross the line where no regular old Israelite is supposed to cross. He's not a priest. He should not cross this line. And he just jumps over it. And then he runs up to you about 10 feet away and he just stops and looks at you and just gives you a high five. And then he runs right past you and you're like, I'm really not looking behind me now because this dude, is he's dead for sure. He's, this guy's toast. But you finally look around. You turn back around and you look and you see him right where the curtain is between the rest of the world and the very presence of God. And he's holding the, the, the curtain that's torn. And then he yells out to you. He says, what year is it? And you're like, 65 AD? He's like, okay, yeah. Did you know this curtain has been torn for 32 years? And you're like, I've, I've never even looked close enough to notice. He's like, neither have I. But I just heard about this guy, Jesus, way over in Jerusalem, because right, way over in Jerusalem, who, when he died, dead people rose, and it was a once-for-all sacrifice. This is, this is where the Hebrews 10 passage ends. I love this. Um, verse 17 and 18. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So the next words out of your mouth are, what about your sin? And his reply is, what sin? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these through the once for all, all time sacrifice of Christ, there is no longer any offering for sin. What sin? This is amazing. This is the one thing God has forgotten. Your sin. So my question to you is, do you remember your sin more than God does? That's the, that's the beautiful lightness 
and, and life and freedom that Jesus makes possible to you when you simply, with empty hands, right? You're not coming in with your lamb and saying, well, this is what I, you told me to do. You just come in risking walking by faith, not by sight, risking that. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God does not remember that. You want, you, you want to know what God does remember? He remembers this. And he wants you to remember this. That's why he left this for us, why Jesus left this for us. This, this moment that we get to share in community where we're reminded of the fact that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us once and for all. There is no more need for you to look for any other God, to sacrifice yourself to any other God. There's no need to make religion your God. Jesus has done it all for you once and for all, and this is the moment to celebrate that and remember it. That is what God wants. You have permission, if you want to be biblical, you have permission to regard yourself as, as if you had no sin. And this, this passage gets into the tension of that a little bit of like, You've been sanctified, but you're also being sanctified, right? So there's an already not yet tension. It's not like you're just, if you're a real Christian, you don't sin at all. You should just come over to my house for about 10 minutes and see that that's not the case, right? But he, he counts you as if you have none. You say, well, Jesus, what, what about the thing I did this morning before I came to church? The way I talked to so-and-so or that thing I looked at or... And his response is, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. Either Jesus' blood is sufficient and his work on the cross is truly finished or it's not. And this is a moment we have together to remember that it was sufficient. It is enough. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at Go in peace.